morning, New River. Uh, I'm glad to be with you all today. So um, if you have your Bibles, you can open, open up to 2 Kings chapter 17. Um, 2 Kings chapter 17, and then we will be there in a few minutes. So a little background of myself, um, why I'm up here. So for those of you who don't know me, uh, my name is Ben Davis. I am one of the two interns that New River has had this summer. Um, so I will be a senior at Cedarville University this fall, finishing up with my last year of school. Um, and I'm a finance and business management major, so nothing to do with ministry at all. Um, but back in, so kind of how I ended up here. Um, so Pastor Doug, he's my uncle, so I have that connection. But um, so back in the fall, I was applying to a lot of internship, internships within businesses and corporations. Um, had a bunch of different interviews, but nothing was really coming through. Um, and then randomly in February, um, Doug called me out of the blue and said, hey, um, I'd love for you to intern here and do kind of, in quotes, half business, half ministry, um, which has turned out to be probably like 85% ministry, which I have loved, um, and I've loved my summer here. So kind of my job description this summer was to basically assist in all youth activity and just help out around the church. Um, and then here I am preaching to you all. So um, this is my very first sermon, so we'll see how it goes. Uh, bear with me, and um, we'll see what the Lord has for us today. So um, about a month ago, or early June, so two months ago now, I was meeting with a friend. He lives down in Middleton, Connecticut from school, um, and we were eating at this Thai restaurant, and I asked him, so what has the Lord been laying on his heart, um, and what has he been learning this summer as he's been in the Word? And he said to me he's been doing an in-depth study on the fear of the Lord and what the fear of the Lord leads to in his life. So um, at Cedarville, we have um, chapel every day of the week, and our president speaks about like once a week. Um, and his whole sermon series this last year was on um, Proverbs in the way of wisdom. And I, you hear a lot, I've heard a lot growing up, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Um, and I haven't heard much else as far as what that leads to. So it kind of got me curious about, like, what more does the fear of the Lord lead to in our lives? And what does that truly look like um, in our lives? So we'll read here in Second Kings chapter 17 um, about that. And today I kind of want to answer the question of what does the fear of the Lord look like? Um, and then also, what are the effects of idolatry in our life? Um, we'll kind of see those two things of the fear of the Lord and idolatry. So before we... Um, dive into this passage, kind of a little background of where we are right now in the text. So um, we're at a point now where Israel has become extremely rebellious um, towards the Lord, um, as you see in verse 14, but they would not listen and were as stiff-necked as their ancestors who did not trust in the Lord their God. So basically, Israel's at a point of turning to every other God but the Lord, um, and their, their pride and their selfishness is basically gets them removed from the land that they're in. So the Lord allows them um, to go into, into captivity, taken out of their land, um, and kind of Assyria takes over their land. So um, we'll pick up in verse 24, um, if you guys want to read along with me, and then we'll um, answer some questions today and see what the Lord has for us. So in verse 24, the king of Assyria brought people from Babylon, Kutha, Ava, Hamath, and Sepharvim, and settled them in the towns of Samaria to replace the Israelites. They took over Samaria and lived in its towns. When they first lived there, they did not worship the Lord, so he sent lions among them, and they killed some of the people. It was reported to the king of Assyria, the people you deported and resettled in the towns of Samaria do not know what the God of that country requires. He has sent lions among them, which are killing them off, because the people do not know what he requires. Um, 
So we'll stop right there real quick, kind of a little one more tidbit. Um, so basically back then, so Israel was Yahweh's land. That was where God was. And you have, the, you have Babylon's land, you have Assyria's land, and those lands had their God. So they brought people into the land of Israel, um, and basically they, they, were, they thought they were required to worship the God of that land. So that's kind of why um, they're upset that they don't know how to worship um, the God of Yahweh who is over that land. So back in verse 27, um, then the king of Assyria gave this order, have one of the priests you took captive from Samaria go back to live there and teach the people what the God of the land requires. So one of the priests who had been exiled from Samaria came to live in Bethel and taught them how to fear the Lord. Nevertheless, each national group made its own God in several towns where they settled and set them up in the shrines the people of Samaria had made at the high places. The people from Babylon made Sukoth benoth those from Kutha made Nergal, and those from Hamath made Ashima. The Avites made Nibhaz and Tartak, and the Sephirvites burned their children in the fire as sacrifices to Adremelech and Anemelech, the god of Sephirvim. They, they feared the Lord, but they also appointed all sorts of their own people to officiate for them as priests in the shrines of the high places. They feared the Lord, but they also served their own gods in accordance with the customs of the nations from which they had been brought. To this day, they persist in their former practices. They neither fear the Lord nor adhere to, to the decrees and regulations, the laws and commands that the Lord gave the descendants of Jacob, whom he named Israel. Um, then we'll skip down to verse 40. Um, they would not listen, however, but persisted in their former practices. Even while these people were fearing the Lord, they were serving their idols. To this day, their children and gran- grandchildren continue to do as their ancestors did. Um, so I hope you see that. I see it right away in that passage of how, and it kind of caught my eye of how these people, they feared the Lord and they also served their other idols. Um, and immediately I, when I read that, I kind of questioned that of how is that possible? Is that possible? Um, so we're kind of look, going to look at that today and have the question of what are the idols in our own hearts that we have um, and, and are we only fearing the Lord? Are we only worshiping the Lord and serving him as our true king? So I think um, one thing to answer first is, what does the fear of the Lord mean? Um, I think if we were to ask everyone here, everyone would, would probably give like a different answer. I don't think there's one exact answer of what the fear of the Lord is. So I have a definition. Um, it is not the definition, but we'll go with that today. Um, so, oh, I got to turn the flicker on. There we go. So I think one thing to note is what does the fear of the Lord not mean? I think when you, when you see the word fear, um, in our context today in America, we immediately think of um, kind of terrified, scared, and just like have nothing to do with what that is. So kind of an example, I remember when I was um, really little, um, up until like age five or six, I was terrified of thunderstorms, right? So every night when there's a thunderstorm, I would hear it, sprint to my parents' room, and then there I felt safe, there I felt okay. But I was terrified of the things that were happening outside, um, and to a non-believer, I would say they should have a fear of the Lord, of a terrified fear of who God is. Because if we don't know Christ as our Savior, um, then the wrath that is coming for you, um, the, the justice that is coming to you is terrifying. Um, but in Christ, we don't have that fear. So um, 1 John 4.18 says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear, because fear has to do with punishment. So our fear of death, our fear of rejection is over, 
And that is not what the fear of the Lord is. So I think we need to get that picture of the fear of the Lord is not scared of who God is. Um, and we, we can rest in who the Lord is. So on the flip side of that then, um, I think a, there, a, a flip side to utter fear of God is an utter enjoyment of God and the delight in who God is. So there's this passage in Isaiah. Um, uh, Isaiah's prophesying about um, Christ who is to come. Uh, in chapter 11 he says, The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. So Jesus um, delighted in the fear of the Lord. He figured out how to truly delight in a fear of God. Um, And I think that's something I want to personally strive for in my own life, um, and that's something that I want to love and work in. So so the fear of the Lord is an enjoyment of God. And then I love this quote. Um, this guy I found, Robert Strimble, says, um, There is the convergence of awe, reverence, adoration, honor, worship, confidence, thankfulness, love, respect, and yes, fear. So the fear of the Lord is this combination of so many things um, that we have before the Lord. So there's, there's this awe of, wow, that's who God is. There's this reverence. There's this honor, there's this worship, there's a confidence of we know who we are in Christ, there's this thankfulness because we are saved from his wrath, there's this love, um, there's this respect, and then there's also this, this we know who God is, and there's some, some type of fear in there. So, um, and also I love the word um, respect there. So I was walking with, um, I guess Pastor Doug, I was going to say Uncle Doug, Pastor Doug the other week, and we were talking about um, respect and how there's kind of like, he said one thing, I said another thing, and it mesh really well. So how respect, there's kind of two forms of respect. So um, for example, back in high school, I got pulled over for speeding because I was following my mom, so I got pulled over. Um, And the officer, um, he pulled me over, and so I respected his authority. I said, yes, sir, cooperated with him. But he as a person was a huge jerk to me, really mean. Um, And to this day, I still don't like him. I should probably get that out of my heart. But um, as a person, I don't respect him as a I didn't respect him as a person at all, but I respected his authority. And I think for the Lord, um, we need to respect his authority of who he is because he created us and he is our, our maker and our author. And then there's the other side of respect of um, when I went to Cedarville freshman year, there's a couple seniors and older upperclassmen who I looked at them and I had a big respect for who they were because of how they acted and how they leaded and how they knew Christ. And I wanted to be like them one day because I respected who they were. It wasn't because of their titles or what any title they had. It was just because of the person they were. So there's that respect too. We, there's people that we respect greatly because of their character. Um, and, and then the Lord is a, is a mesh of those two. The Lord has our respect. Of, his, his authority is over us, but he's also our friend. He's our Abba Father. He's our daddy that we can go to and love and rest in. Um, so I think that's kind of a, a definition we'll use um, as far as a respect of God, a reverence of God, an awe of God. It is, wow, this is who the Lord is. So we'll use that as what the fear of the Lord means. Um, and then the next question I want to answer is, what does a person who fears the Lord look like? Um, so there's tons of verses in Proverbs and throughout Old Testament and New Testament across the whole Bible of the fear of the Lord. Um, so we'll look at a few verses here. So I'll just read them as we go along. So Proverbs twenty three seventeen. 
Do not let your heart envy sinners, but always be zealous of the fear of the Lord. So a person who fears the Lord doesn't envy sin. They don't look at the party in the world, the money in the world, and they don't envy that. They are satisfied with Christ. And if you as a person want to, want to grow in a fear of the Lord, if you have a per, as a person want to say, I'm a person who fears the Lord, there is no envy of sin. There is no desiring of wishing you could do that thing because you're so delighting in who the Lord is. Um, Proverbs 28, 14 Blessed is the one who fears the Lord always. Whoever hardens his heart will fall into calamity. So I think you can see from that, um, a person who fears the Lord has a soft heart. They aren't hardened to the things of the Lord. And as um, Doug has kind of said multiple times this summer as he's preaching on um, hearing God's voice, um, what is the Lord? We want to align our hearts with God's heart and have a heart for what the Lord has. And I think that's a soft heart, a a heart that is sensitive to the Lord and wants what the Lord has. Um, Proverbs 8.13, to fear the Lord is to hate evil. So as a person, I think I struggle with this a lot in my own heart. I go through seasons of um, where I sin and I I hate that sin. I'm in tears. I'm so ticked off that I've fallen into sin. And then I have seasons where I sin and I don't care at all. My heart is apathetic. Um, And I think we all go through those waves of times of um, hating sin and then not hating sin. And, or even evil in the world. Like sometimes I, I look at calamities happening across the world and my heart doesn't break at all. I'm, like there's no connect there. And it's, it's bad, but um, so that's something that I want to grow in. And so a person who fears the Lord hates evil. They, say, they see evil in the world and they absolutely hate that. They abhor evil and they see evil in their own hearts and they hate that too. Um, Proverbs 19.23 the fear of the Lord leads to life, and whoever has it rests satisfied. So someone who fears the Lord is full of life. Um, Doug talked last week, Romans 6, um, how there's this ever-giving life. We are dead with Christ and alive with him. And every morning we wake up, there's this new life we have in Christ, this, this ever-giving life. So the fear of the Lord leads to that, um, and, and whoever has it rests satisfied. You are satisfied in Christ. You are not um, discontent with who God is because we grow in a fear of the Lord. Psalm 19.9, the fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. So someone who fears the Lord has a pure heart and is pure. It's not just sexually pure, but also pure in all our other motives. So the motives we have to serve, are they pure just to, to love the Lord? Are our motives to lead, are they pure in, for the Lord? And someone who ha- fears the Lord is pure in all that they do. Um, and then, kind of in a church setting, um, so Acts chapter 9 you, you kind of see the church growing and multiplying, the early church. And it says, kind of second half of that verse, in walking in the fear of the Lord and in comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. So as a church body in a church across America, if all of us are people who fear the Lord with our whole hearts and we're walking with the Spirit, I think you see multiplication happen. You see disciples you, you see yourself discipling people. You see other people coming to know Christ because they see a people who know God and fear the Lord and walk in step with Christ. So that's kind of like what a person who fears the Lord looks like. Those are some verses. There's so much more. Um, so basically, kind of to summarize, it's someone who doesn't envy sin. They're full of life. Um, they have satisfaction in rest in Christ. They, they hate evil. They are pure. They have a soft heart. Um, and there's disciples happening from their love of the Lord. Um, so, and then, so, so we can answer the question of then, so, so the fear of the Lord means that we are in awe of God, we have a respect of God, we, are, we adore God, we enjoy God. We have a person who fears the Lord, who basically 
And I think just, just look at Christ. Jesus delighted in the fear of the Lord. So our ultimate example is Christ. And keep your eyes on who Jesus is, um, and we will grow in the fear of the Lord. And then the last question is, how do I, how do I as a person obtain a fear of the Lord? Um, I think that's a lot of times I've, I've grown up in church hearing things, and then I, I leave with the question of, well, how do I be like that? How do I become like that person? Um, so... How do I attain fear of the Lord? Um, I think one big thing is recognizing who the Lord really is. I think it's to recognize all facets of who God is. So he's this God who um, can bring down fiery wrath. He can wipe us off the earth like that. Um, He's a jealous God. And then he's also a God over here who is loving, who is our Savior, um, looks at us and sees us as blameless, spotless, um, who gives his only son for us and his sacrificial love. So I think you need, you need to recognize the whole sphere of who the Lord is. Um, another thing is be people who really devour the scriptures. Like be people who take this book and just mow through this book, sit in this book all day long and let it be your lifeline. Um, you know, John 15 is all about abiding in Christ and how he is, the, he is the vine and we are the branches. And if you are not plugged into God, if we're not plugged into God 24-7, then we're not going to be producing fruit, we're not going to be growing, and then if we're not growing, we can't, rec- we can't have in our own hearts a true fear of the Lord and a fear of who God is. Um, and then obviously, uh, read your Bible and pray and be in there all the time. Uh, and then I like Proverbs 2, 3 through 5. So, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek for it like silver, search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. So basically, if we call out for insight, we will understand the fear of the Lord. But um, I think it's important to read the rest of that verse, how um, if you seek for it like silver. So silver isn't something you just walk around down the street and boom, there it is. You have to go out and find it. You have to take time to mine it. You have to take time to um, get all the impurities out of it and have this pure thing. So it's a process of searching for it. Um, search for it as for hidden treasures. So you have your treasure map with the X. You've got to follow the path and get to the point where the treasure is. It's a hidden treasure. It's not just laying out there for us. So yes, call up for insight and the Lord will reveal it to you. Ask for it and the Lord will reveal it to you. But we can't be doubting and we have to um, search for it daily, search for it with all of our hearts, and then we will find the fear of the Lord. So, um, so that's kind of the first part, so the fear of the Lord. And then the second part I see um, in this passage then is, um, hold on, is idolatry. So um, we see in verse um, 34 how, um, well, 33, so that they, 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 verse 33 in that chapter of 17, they feared the Lord, but they also served their own gods in accordance with the customs of the nations from which they've been brought. And again, you see, they feared the Lord, and they persisted in their former practices. Um, so I think, so I kind of want to tackle then, so what is the root of idolatry in our hearts? Idols are things that um, can be really big and obvious in our life, and idols are also something that um, are very subtle also in our lives, things we don't really notice right off the bat. So I think the root of idolatry is very simply pride and selfishness, and selfishness comes from pride. So I say the root of idolatry is purely pride. Um, you saw the Israelite people early in chapter 17. Um, they thought they were fine. They were as stiff-necked as their ancestors, and they did not trust the Lord. They trusted themselves because they were prideful. And because of that, they were kicked out of their land. And I think the biggest um, 
The biggest blocker to spiritual growth in our hearts um, is pride. I've noticed in my own heart, the more prideful I become, the less connected to the Lord I feel, and the more humble I am, I know you can't really say you're humble, but the more humility I feel like I have, the more I recognize that the Lord is moving in my heart, the Lord is awakening my heart, and I am connected with Christ. Um, so that's the root of idolatry is pride. So what are, search your own hearts of what pride is there um, in your hearts that is blocking you. And I think once we, once we become humble, we see more idols in our hearts. Once we have more humility in our hearts, the more we see the idols that pop up and we're like, wow, that, like, I've been giving my time to that and that is not right at all. So, um, so then the next thing is, what are the effects of idolatry in our, on our hearts? So in this passage, these people, they feared the Lord and they also served their other idols. And to them, it was kind of like they were fine serving God and they were fine doing their own thing. Um, so verse uh, 34, I like how it says, they neither fear the Lord nor adhere to the decrees and regulations of, that the Lord gave them. So basically the author is saying there how um, these people, they really weren't fearing the Lord at all because they had these idols in their heart. Um, the Lord is a God who um, is an exclusive God. He wants um, only what is his. Um, so really, I, I, I want to say, if you have these idols in your heart, you're not truly fearing the Lord then. You're not truly worshiping God because you're giving time to other things, and God is a God who requires exclusive worship. Um, I like this passage in Jeremiah um, 2.13, where um, he basically, the people, so my, my people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. So um, they have forsaken the Lord, and then they also, they dug their own cisterns. And I was reading this commentary, and it's actually super interesting, of that passage. So, so where they were, so Palestine, the country, they had three sources of water in their land. They had running water, which, which they called living water. So that's the water that, that Christ gives to us as living water. Um, they had groundwater, water which they would connect from a well. So it's there, it'll quench your thirst, but it's not refreshing to you. It's just stagnant. Um, and then the last thing they had is um, runoff water collected in cisterns. So the cisterns they had was, were just where all the runoff water from rain went. Um, so basically these cisterns, they collected silt and they collected mosquito larvae and they were nasty like bins. Um, so essentially the Israelites, they traded living water, stuff that is ever-flowing and life-giving for that, but they also traded it for broken cisterns. So not only are their cisterns filled with maggots and gross nastiness, but they're broken, and, the, and the, that nasty water just runs out. So in times of need, in times of difficult days, when they go to get that water, there's nothing there, and all that is there is sludge and dirt and nastiness. And I think that is what idols are in our hearts. When we exchange God for idols... We exchange the goodness of God, the living water of God, um, the beauty of who the Lord is for this dirt, this sludge, this nastiness that only makes us sick inside, only blackens our hearts, only makes us people who are turning away from who the Lord is. Um, another thing idols do in our hearts is they make us slaves again to other things. So Romans 6.6, 6, um, Paul's writing, For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be ruled by sin. So by worshiping other idols, you are, you are essentially saying, 
Here's Satan, bound me up in chains again. Here's Satan, put the handcuffs back on me again. I'm going back into captivity and going back into these strongholds, and you're letting the devil get a foothold in your life. That's what idols are doing, essentially, because you're, you're saying whatever is not for God is against God. And by, by not giving your attention to the Lord, you're giving your atten- attention to the things, that the schemes of the devil, and you're allowing Satan to rush back into your heart. And then you have to go through a whole process again of getting forgiveness, getting healing, getting strongholds broken to be fully free in Christ again, which the Lord can do. But um, why would we ever want to open our hearts to that? Um, Paul writes again in Galatians, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. So the Lord set us free, but the Lord set us free to serve one another humbly in love. He did not set us free to indulge our flesh. And idols are indulging our flesh. He didn't set us free to go have fleeting pleasures of whatever your idols are in your hearts. He set us free to be in him and serve him and to know him and make Christ known. And then the last thing I think idols do is idolatry, um, idolatry waters down our faith. So it essentially takes away our ability to fully walk and step with the Lord um, and it robs us of so much fruit we could be bearing. Um, I like to think of this, so Paul um, urges us to press onward for this one goal. He's thrown everything behind him, and he has this one goal of serving Christ. So um, I like to think of it, so if I'm back here, so we're going to make Jesus the clock up there. So Jesus is a clock right now. Um, so I'm a new believer. I've just been saved, and I'm free in Christ, right? So I start walking towards Christ. I'm on this narrow road, and, but then once I start looking at idols, I kind of drift over here. I'm walking this way, and I'm kind of half towards the Lord, but I'm still over here. And then I kind of maybe get back on track, and then again I have these idols over here, and I'm not, I'm not keeping my eyes on Christ. I'm taking my eyes off of who Christ is. And eventually you get to a point where you you're, have so many idols in your life where your eyes are this way. My back is turned to, to Christ, and I'm not even looking at Christ anymore. And I think that's what idols do, and they, they, it so waters down and dilutes our faith because we're, we're half at Christ, half at sin, and those don't mesh well together at all, and they don't mesh. And the sin begins to grow and grow in your life because we're not fully in Christ and who the Lord is. Um, so uh, I kind of want to end with this quote of what we're talking about today. So um, the people here, they didn't know God beforehand. Um, and the, They sent a prophet to them who... The prophet that was sent to them really didn't know God either because he was part of the Israelite people that was kicked out of the land anyways. So he wasn't a person who was right with the Lord. So they brought in this person who, in his head, probably knew what to do, but his heart wasn't there whatsoever. Um, It even says, like, the Lord sends every prophet imaginable, and they still wouldn't listen. So, like, this man isn't doing that. So he teaches them how to fear the Lord, fear the Lord. Um, And these people, they had a religion that they thought was fearing God of Israel while also serving their other gods. But what was really regarded as not fearing the Lord at all. So basically these people, they weren't fearing the Lord at all because they were serving these other gods. Um, And as the only God who truly exists, the Lord claims exclusive worship. A broad pantheon of gods is not acceptable. So a broad worshiping of many gods is not acceptable. So the Lord claims exclusive worship. I'm going to say that again. The Lord claims exclusive worship in our lives. 
Uh, worshiping many gods is not acceptable, and it violates so many commandments the Lord has before us. We are to love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, all your strength, and you can't do that if you're loving some idol over here. You can't love the Lord with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, with all of your heart, if we're giving some of it over here. Then you're loving the Lord with 80% of your heart, 20% of your heart. And that's not what the Lord requires of us. And the Lord, the Lord requires all of our worship for our own good. The Lord doesn't want our worship just so he's, it is, is pleasing to him, but he knows what is best for us. He requires all of our worship because he wants what is best for your heart. And he knows those idols over there, that sin you're entering into, in the moment, it may, be, it may be enjoyable, it may be fleeting, but well, it is fleeting, but it is not life-giving, it is not lasting whatsoever. Um, so, band, you guys can come up um, as I close here. So, I kind of want to close with this. So, in my own life, um, I have seen the faithfulness of God over and over again. Um, I've been majorly blessed to grow up in a family that um, everyone knows the Lord, so my Grandpa um, has been a pastor his whole life. My other grandfather uh, has planted a church, heavily involved in missions. I have um, two uncles who are pastors. So every single cousin I've ever had, all my extended family, knows the Lord and knows Christ. So I've been majorly blessed to grow up in an environment like that, majorly blessed. Um, So growing up, I got saved at a young age. Um, Love going to church, love reading the Word. I've always had a sensitive heart and um, wanted to see people know God. Um, and I'm the youngest in my family, so I have a brother who's a year older than me, and then my sister's four years older than me. So um, my senior year of high school came around, and my brother went off to school, so I was the only child for the year. Um, so senior year, of high, senior year of high school was, uh, it was a really fun year of year, um, but now looking back on it, I majorly regret it. So it I kind of had the same scenario. So I didn't reject the Lord. I didn't not want to go to church. I never not wanted to serve God. I still love going to church. I love my church friends. I loved Bible studies. Um, But yet, I didn't worship the Lord basically at all that year. Um, Within a year at work, I was a manager. So I had a lot of, I really enjoyed that experience of being over everyone. Um, At school, I I was playing basketball and I really enjoyed that year, playing really well. It was a lot of fun. Um, I started dating a girl that year that um, really good morals but wasn't a Christian, wasn't saved. Um, so there was that whole disconnect, and it wasn't a healthy relationship. Um, and so basically I spent this whole year pouring my time and my emotions into other people, other things that wasn't the Lord. And those things to me good if they're centered around Christ, but it wasn't at all. So uh, I lived that whole year, and I already knew I was going to Cedarville, so the whole like college search wasn't really... A big deal for me. Um, So it was was a fun year in the world. Um, And then the year ended, and um, my my relationship ended with my girlfriend. Um, School was over, sports were over, work was over, and I was kind of left with like nothing. I kind of went through a month of like depressed because I didn't know where to turn. And the whole year, I had been putting my emotions and my time into other things that wasn't the Lord, and it left me so empty inside. It left me so depressed with nowhere to turn. And um, it didn't hit me until middle of the summer. Uh, my mom, who I love dearly, um, great woman of the Lord, she walks into my room with tears in her eyes, and she looks at me and says, Benjamin, where are you? You're not the person I've always known. You're not the joyful kid um, we raised you to be. Where are you? And that was a big wake-up call in my heart of like, wow, I haven't touched my Bible in like six months. I haven't prayed to God in 
four or five months. Like, what am I doing with my life? I spent so, many, so much time turning to other idols that I wasn't fearing the Lord whatsoever. Um, then I went off to Cedarville in that fall after senior year of high school, and I had the mindset, okay, I need to put the Lord first. I need to put God first in my life. And as the year ended that year, I was looking, I was this amazing what the Lord was showing me. Like the God was just showing me so many cool things about who he was. Um, and I was writing a paper on Ecclesiastes end of the year in my Old Testament class. And I basically Ecclesiastes, to sum it up, is like um, living life within the Lord's parameters and the fullness of joy there is in that. And I recognized, I was like, wow, my whole freshman year of college, I was living life within the Lord's parameters, and I had such fullness of joy, I had such satisfaction in Christ, I had such victory over sin because I was in Christ, and I wasn't giving my time to these other idols, or I wasn't, and I was, I was only giving worship to God the best I could. And my senior year of high school was the complete opposite of, it, it left me with emptiness, depression, of brokenness, of nowhere to turn. So, as we sing this last song, as we worship, um, feel free to come up, um, to the altar, receive prayer, or where you're sitting in your own hearts. But what are the idols in your own heart? What are you giving time to in your own life that is not giving you life? Whether it be, and it can be very subtle, like if, if it, whether it be work, whether it be your, your goal for money, it could even be your spouse. If you're giving more, more affection and time to your spouse than you are to the Lord, and that is an idol. The marriage in itself isn't bad, but that is an idol. It can be your children. Are you more concerned about um, what your children are doing than you are with your own relationship with Christ? And that can be an idol in itself. Whatever it is, there's so many things that can be idols in our heart. Um, But what is it in your heart that you're giving time to that is not giving life, that is not sustaining? Um, And I can promise you guys, once, once you recognize that, once you give it up to the Lord, and we focus on just fearing the Lord, just worshiping the Lord, there is so much fullness of joy, there is so much satisfaction, and there is so much goodness in Christ Jesus, who died for our sins, who went to the cross for our sins, and we have new life with him. So, um, as we sing this next song, just search that in your hearts, um, and then I'll come back after.